Genesis. Um, if you haven't picked up a journal, grab your journal today. And if you have it with you, you can open it up. Uh, today, we're going we're gonna to jump into week three. So we're on page 17. And we're going to dig in just a little bit more about this story of Genesis. Uh, Eugene Peterson, just to get our minds back aligned to what we're talking about. Uh, Genesis is the story of, of God the creation of the world and how God is engaging with us, how he's active with us, his creation, humanity in the world. And one of the things Eugene Peterson said is that God doesn't work impersonally from space, which is how many of us, if we're honest, that's how we view God, that God is some distant being who's disconnected from humanity. And most of us grow up or at some point begin to believe that we have to earn our way to God, that, that, that if we're ever going to connect with God, it's up to us to figure it out. And the story of Genesis is the story of God's activity within creation because God wants to personally be connected with us, his creation, you are his creation, and it's, it's like... I know it's, this is an, not a perfect picture, but it's like parents with children. Bless you. Um, it's like parents with children. Are there moments in your life, if you're a parent, that you're incredibly frustrated with your children? That's a ridiculous question, I know. But there are moments when you're incredibly frustrated with your children because they do things that are, I mean, excuse, they just do dumb things. I don't know how else to say it. Kids just do dumb things, just like we did dumb things when we were kids. And it doesn't mean that we want to disengage with our children and that we no longer love them. Listen, this is God. Just because we do dumb things doesn't mean that God wants to, to distance himself from us. God wants to be with us. And, and the story of Genesis is that story. It's not about an impersonal God. No matter what we do, good or bad, we continue to be a part of what God is doing in this world, and nobody can drop out because there's nowhere to drop out to. And listen, friends, church, that's good news for all of us because God does not want to disconnect or distance himself from us. When we become distant from God, when we think we're distanced from God, that's more our activity than it is God's activity. It's more our doing than it is his because he continually pursues us and he is walking with us. It's just that sometimes we miss it. So this week, um, we're going to dig into a little bit piece of, of God's character um, that I, I think just needs to be cemented in our hearts and in our minds. And I'm excited uh, this week to, to dig into this. And if you'd like extra credit I always give you a little extra credit opportunities. Um, if you want the little gold star when you get to heaven, um, we have a version reading plan. Uh, it's God is, uh, it's a six-day Bible reading plan. I began it today, and you can begin it today. You can take a picture of this uh, little uh, QR code, and it will send you where you can jump into the, the reading plan, or bit.ly slash McDowell 092522, which is today. That's today's uh, um, date, 092522. And you can read along this week with us. So think for a minute of the narrative arc of your life. What was your birth? When were you born? Go ahead and say it out loud. When were you born? 
Now, some of you were really specific, and some of you were very vague. I just heard July. <laughs> like, this July? No, you have a specific birth date. Some of you just don't want to share that specific birth date out loud. I was born on October 20th, 1975, during the World Series when the Cincinnati Reds were playing the Boston Red Sox. Yes, and the Cincinnati Reds won. It was the big red machine or whatever they called it back then. My dad watched the game instead of the birth of his son, which I'm still working on getting over that one. It hurt me deeply. Anyway, so uh, I was born, my dad, huge Cincinnati Reds fan. I lived for a short time in Indiana. Then we moved to Alabama. My growing up days were in Alabama. I claim Alabama as home. I was American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. And I lived there for quite a while. Went to school in Indiana. It was the greatest part of that is I met my wife, Robin. Come on, give it up for Robin. She's the best thing in, in my life. So think about your narrative arc. And then, so we lived in Oklahoma for some time and then came to Arizona, which has been awesome. I'm so thankful for this church and the grace you all give me and Robin and our kids. And I love it. But think about your narrative arc and just the way your life has progressed. And you've had some awesome days and some not so awesome seasons. Am I right? Yeah, you've had some great seasons of joy and goodness and so, I mean, and then you've had some really difficult days. And what we find in Genesis is a narrative arc, some stories that are specific to that period of time, but also give us a narrative arc of what God wants to do with us. And it's really, we can find ourselves in the story. That's one of the beauties of the Bible is that it's not just something that happened, but it's something that continues to happen. So look at this narrative arc in the Bible. We have creation. You were born in July, apparently, some of you. <laughs> creation. And there was a light in the darkness. And um, that's kind of the, the creation story is that God created, uh, where there was chaos, God brought order together. And if you think about like, just the, the, the origins of, of you as a human being, think about the miracle that takes place when cells come together in a human body and begin to split, and the, the amazing miracle that women, like a human is formed in them. It's unbelievable. It's miraculous when you think about it, isn't it? Like all the pieces coming together, creation. But then there's this rebellion, and you don't have to look very far. When your toddler begins toddling and walking around your house, and you say, do not touch the stove, it is hot, they rebel. They're like, I should touch that stove. It's red, that's pretty. It's hot. But then God calls us back, just like as parents, we call our children back, and we encourage them and speak life into them and all those things. There's this narrative arc of God, and, and Cameron talked about this last week, that God calls each one of us. He gives us a place and a purpose, and it calls us sometimes to step away from what's comfortable, but there's this calling that happens in Genesis, it happens in our lives, but then there's this corruption, and that's where we are today. There's a, <laughs> someone said amen, I didn't even mean it that way, but okay. Um, there's corruption, there's sin, and there's pain, and there's chaos in the world. And yes, you can look around and you can see it 
um, on a bigger scale, but you can also see it in, in our lives. You can see it in your life. Corruption. There's pain. There's chaos. There's sin that, that messes things up in our, in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, all of that. But then there's this God, the same God, which we were just singing about, the same God who brought restoration in, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, is the God who brings restoration to us. It's the God who never gives up on us. That's good news, that God never gives up on you. I mean, I would give up on some of you. You would give up on me. At some point, if I, you know, and I told you a few weeks ago, if I haven't let you down yet, stick around. It won't be long. I'll let you down at some point. And some of you are so gracious, but there'll be a day when you're like, I don't know if I can do it any longer, Matt. And like, God never gives up on us. He always pursues us. And I'm so grateful for that God who never gives up on me. I don't know how you feel about that, but it's good news for all of us. And I'm just so grateful for that. But that's, this is the narrative arc of Genesis. And it's, it's what's taking place all over the world, and it continues to happen again and again. So let's talk about corruption just for a minute. I know, super exciting topic, corruption. Um, Genesis, if you actually read the book of Genesis, you think your family is dysfunctional. Oh, my goodness. The book of Genesis is like a state fair in the deep south. <laughs> I mean, it's like you think it's crazy, and then you look at your family and you're like, oh my gosh, like we set the mark. Like if you're from Alabama, you know, we set the mark. Dysfunction is real. And in Genesis, the dysfunction is real. Look, I want to give you some names and some things that happen. Cain and Abel, murder. Like right out of the gate. God wants, you know, to, to, to redeem all that Adam and Eve did, and then their kids, one of them kills the other. And then you get to Abraham and, and Sarah, and, and Sarah is, is old. She doesn't trust God at this moment, and so what she decides is to give her assistant to her husband to have a child because instead of trusting God's promise, I'm going to take things into my own hands, and I'm going to manufacture God's promise. Now, I know none of us do anything like that, but that's what happened in, in, in Genesis. And sometimes we look at the characters of Genesis, and we put them on a pedestal, and we think these are the ideal images of what it means to walk with God. Well, let me continue. Isaac and Rebekah had a favorite child which caused all kinds of, you can imagine with children, causes all kinds of, of, of problems. Jacob and Esau have this sibling rival, rivalry. One of them steals the other's birthright and then runs because he's scared of his brother. He sells it for, like the other one sold it for like a bowl of soup because he was hungry. Sells his birthright, gives up on God's promise because of this. And then you have Laban who tricks Jacob, schemes, so, so Jacob wants to marry Laban's daughter. I mean, this could be a, an awesome daytime soap opera. So uh, Jacob wants to marry Laban's daughter, and so he says, you know what I'll do is I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me your daughter's hand in marriage. And Laban says, okay, let's do it. And he's like, I want that daughter. She's gorgeous, your second daughter. She's pretty, 
I think we have something going here. And so he says, okay. So he works for seven years. It's his wedding night. And while it's dark, um, Laban trades the daughter for his other daughter and slips her into his bedroom. And he wakes up the next morning and realizes that he's now married to the daughter he didn't want to be married to. And he's ticked off, as you can imagine. Some of you are like, is this in the Bible? Are you making this up? No, it's in the Bible. Like, it's there. You should read your Bible. Like it, um, and so then, obviously, Jacob's really mad about this. And he says, no, no, I want the daughter that I agreed to work for seven years. And so Laban, the dad, says, okay, work for seven more years, and I'll give you that daughter. So he does. 14 years, like, of forced labor. And he then has two daughters. I have one wife. Anyway. Um, I just caused myself all kinds of problems. Judah and Tamar is one of the craziest stories in all the Bible. Tamar's husband, who is Judah's son, dies, and part of the, the way that you're supposed to be faithful to the promise in this day, it makes no sense to us, but the father is supposed to carry on the line, um, the, the family line, even with the daughter-in-law, I know, it's crazy. You should read your Bible. But he won't do it until she dresses up like a prostitute and stands on the side of the road and tricks him into doing it. I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't even, some of you are like, are you allowed to talk in church like this, Matt? It's in the Bible. This is, this is the story of Genesis. And some of you think you're too far gone. You're not too far gone. Whatever you have is lightweight. The dysfunction in Genesis is so deep and dark. But God never quits. He never gives up. Jacob and Joseph, Jacob, like Joseph was the favorite son, and all of his brothers are ticked off, and so they sell him into slavery. They almost killed him. They sell him into slavery. It's an unbelievable story. It's just a mess. Genesis, if you actually read it, and I want to encourage you to read it, it's just, it's just crazy. And so you begin to think, are these the heroes of the faith, like we've been taught? And I ask this question, or, or are they ordinary people who made mistakes and failed, but learned to trust God on the journey? And I wonder if that is the story that God wants us to begin to believe and understand is that we are gonna make mistakes and we are going to fail, but if we will trust God on the journey, he can bring about good even in our failure. I wonder if that's what God wants us to begin to see, this narrative arc that's taking place in all of scripture. So there's this phrase in Genesis, I think it's chapter 24 where it first shows up and it says this, the Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness. And if you're taking notes, maybe just write down those, those two little phrases, unfailing love and faithfulness. In the midst of the dysfunction and the failure and the sin, God continues to show his unfailing love and faithfulness. Don't you love those two little phrases? Like, God's love is unfailing, and he is faithful to the end. This word, faithful, in Scripture, in the Hebrew, is emet. And emet 
if you begin to like dig in, you can translate it a lot of different ways, but it means stable, reliable, trustworthy, secure, true. This is God. Now, hear this. Don't, don't, don't miss this, that God is reliable and he's trustworthy and he's true. He is a rock that you can stand on. He is a father that you can return to again and again and again and again and again and again, and he will never give up on you, ever, because he's faithful. And his love will never fail us. In our greatest dysfunction, in our greatest sin, in our biggest mistakes in life, God never turns his back and walks away from us. And listen, everybody else will, but God won't. He just won't do it because it's not who he is. God is faithful and he is true to his character and he is full of love. The most quoted verse in the Old Testament actually comes from this little verse in Genesis, but it's solidified in Exodus. And here it is, the most quoted verse, Yahweh, the Lord, and this is speaking, God speaking, it's his words, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This becomes in all of the Old Testament and the story of God. So some of us believe that the Old Testament God is a judge who's just getting things done, and the New Testament God is full of grace. So we have this like tension of like this Old Testament wrathful God and this New Testament Jesus picture of love and grace. But it's just not true if we read scripture. The same God of grace that was made known in Jesus is the God of grace in the Old Testament who is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love, and faithfulness. And I don't know why I'm getting so worked up this morning, but I get excited about this because it's really who God is. And I think part of our problem and our struggle is that we just don't really know how good God is. We just don't know how good he is. And when we dig in, like these words, I just bolded them because I didn't want you to miss them. I mean, when you think about a God who's full of compassion and mercy, who's slow to anger, who has this unfailing love, who is faithful through generations. I mean, how good is that? Why would we ever want to distance ourselves from that? Why would we? Why would we step away from a, from a God who is so good, even in our failure? Have you ever failed? Have you ever made a commitment to God and you meant it deep, like deep in your, in your heart and in your soul? And you meant it, like God, if you do this, I'll do this. Have you ever made a deal with God? Or you just, one day you just felt really like God was close and you said, oh my gosh, God, I just love you so much and I'll never do this again. I'll never, ever, ever, ever until tomorrow do this again. And you failed, and you sinned again. And what's so interesting is I think the enemy works in that 
to distance us from God, and we think it's God, but it's not. It's the enemy who's bringing shame into our hearts and our minds when the faithful God of the universe is the one who just keeps after it with us because he just loves us that much. And what's interesting about this is uh, we, we often believe it's our behavior that pushes God away, but it's not. Even with our behavior, God continues to pursue us. Like God's faithfulness and his love isn't dependent upon our performances. Listen to this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. O Lord, our Father, do you guys remember that old hymn? Like it, it's, it's written from this passage of Scripture. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All I have needed, thy hands hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. You remember that? You remember that? It's interesting how those lyrics kind of get into our, like it's from Scripture. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Now be thankful this morning that I don't sing. And we, 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 we sing this and we say this, that God is faithful. We read this, and then we think, well, what happens when we're unfaithful? Like what does God do with that? And we, we find an answer to that in Scripture. Look, look, what, look what Scripture says. If we are unfaithful, he is, what's that next word? He's faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. How incredible is that passage of Scripture? Come on. Are you here this morning? Are you with me? I mean, that's unbelievable. Because if we were writing that, we would say, when we are unfaithful, he is unfaithful. We would write, he is unfaithful, but we don't need to say that because the truth is when we are unfaithful, he is faithful because he cannot deny who he is and he is full of love and compassion, slow to anger, unfailing love and faithfulness. He cannot deny who he is. So years ago, um, I look back and, and one of my greatest disappointments in life in, in many ways was, um, some of you don't know this story, some of you know this story, um, I years ago made a decision to leave McDowell and move away. Um, I had been here for about six years, and uh, I just had some things happening in me, and as Robin and I processed, we, we made this decision to leave, and we left, and about a year into, after we left, we, we just realized really quickly, oh my gosh, like, what did we do? Have you ever been there, like where you, you made a decision, and it was like a big decision, like you think about big decision, it was a big decision, you make, you make this decision, and then you come face to face with um, your, your own humanity and your own weakness and your poor judgment, and I can keep filling in the blanks, some of you can fill it in for me, like all these things, and, and, I, and, and um, I think... For, for someone with my personality to admit that you're a failure is really hard. But I came face to face with the reality that I had failed at something 
um, big in my life. And I mean, that was really hard to admit for someone who's a one who's only made a couple mistakes in my life. <laughs> and this was a big one. It was just really hard for me to, 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 to be honest and just to say, man, I, I messed up big time and I don't know what to do with it. I, I just don't know, I don't know what God's gonna do with this and, and all of this. And um, some People, I, I wrote it this way, I was just writing out my feelings and I wrote it this way. Some might say that was a failure. Maybe it was. But failure is often the perfect moment to come to know God's faithfulness and his unfailing love. Sometimes failure puts us in the place um, of, of knowing God at a level deeper than we've ever known him. And we learn something about him in that failure that we wouldn't have known otherwise. And so I look back on that season of my life, and man, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? If we could go back and change things, a lot of us would go back and change, right? We'd change some things that we did. But I look back and I think, man, but if I would have changed that, would I have ever known God's faithfulness and unfailing love like I've come to know it today? And I know there are a lot of other pieces of that story, but I'm so grateful that God didn't give up on me. And listen, God doesn't give up on you either. Some might call it a failure, whatever it is for you. But that might be, the, like God might have posi positioned you in a perfect place to know his, his faithfulness in that. God's faithfulness is never determined by our performance. And so often we think it's our activity that pushes God's, God away and that he is distant because of something we've done. Usually any distance we feel between us and God is the enemy trying to bring about shame in our lives. It's not God moving away. Judah Smith is a pastor in Seattle and in California. And he says this, I love this, no sinner is irreparable or irredeemable. No sin is so great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover it. His love is so deep and wide that he can, God can, in one moment of our faith, forgive our past, present, and future sins. Aren't you grateful for that, God? Who in one moment of our faith, of our trust, regardless of what we've done, what we're doing, what we will do in the future, in one moment of trust, of faith in God, he can cover it all. He can cover it all. Listen, God loves you not because you deserve it and not because you've earned it. God loves you not because you deserve it and not because you earn it. He just loves you because you're his. He just loves you. There's nothing that you can do to change that. And when we begin to understand even a fraction of that love and when we begin to embrace it, that's when everything changes. It's, it's that understanding of his faithfulness and his love. It's in that place that we begin to be transformed by his spirit. Not in order to earn his love, but because of his love. 
it just begins to change us and we live differently. So look, I don't know, I don't know where you are with God or where you feel you are with God. I mean, some of you might just feel like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't think about it very much. Some of you might feel like there was definitely a moment in your narrative arc of life that you felt like whatever it was you were experiencing um, just distanced you from God. Maybe some of you today feel like it's your own um, behavior or performance that has caused God to move away from you. And I want you to know, like, that's the enemy. It's the enemy who is falsifying the truth about God. God just loves you fully. And he is pursuing you. And he's never in the past given up on you. He is not giving up on you today. And he will not give up on you in the future. And here's the great news about that. Some of you might go, Matt, you know, that's just some religious talk. I expect that when I come here. But the, the good news in all of it is it's true. And no matter where you go from here, you have a God that will continue to follow after you because he just loves you that much. He just loves you that much. There's this, this passage of Scripture near the end of the Bible, 1 John, where John is writing, and he says, he says this, if we'll confess our sin, and it's just being honest about who we are and what we've done, if we'll just confess... What's so crazy about this is it says he is faithful and just. And I think, well, is the just thing like holding us accountable for that sin? But what, what John says, and I think what is, what is true through Christ, is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us going forward. And that's what communion is. It's a reminder that what we find in Christ is forgiveness and a cleansing. And so we're going to, um, I'm going to give you time to get communion. Some of you are like, oh, we're going to do this. Um, I'm going to give you time in just a minute. We're going to sing the first part of this song, and then you can slip back and grab communion if you didn't get it, and then we're going to take it together. But here, I, I want to encourage you, as you do this, it's the same God who was full of unfailing love and faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph. It's that same God who, through Jesus, is faithful to you and me. And he won't give up. So let's stand together, and we're going to sing this song, and we're going to take communion and be reminded of his great love. God, in these moments, we just are um, overwhelmed by your goodness, your grace, your mercy, we come to the table. Uh, this simple reminder, this symbolic reminder, the, the body of Christ which was broken, his blood which was poured out for us, we receive this um, in faith, trusting you and trusting in your unfailing love and faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name.